Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. The guest co-hosts come one after another, and joining me this week, there can be no other than my actual brother from another mother. Or rather, no, from not another mother. It's the same mother. Yeah, CNET's Andy Hoyle. Hi. Yeah, not to be confused with Handy Oil, which is a very different thing that I do make use of, but for very different purposes. Absolutely. Mm. We're going to do something now, Andy, that we have never done on the show before. Oh, my God. And I'm not using hyperbole. I'm genuinely meaning this. We're going to go completely off script and talk about something that is literally happening right now that's just popped up on my screen, oh. which is that Dyson has cancelled its super-secret electric car. Oh. Officially, I just saw this pop up on Wired, and it said that the company had developed a fantastic car, according to James Dyson, who issued this statement. But of course w- he's going to say that. But one that could not be made commercially viable. He said that the company had tried to find a buyer for its electric car division, which employs about 500 people in the UK alone, but presumably couldn't. Um, It says that its first cars had already been developed and were being tested, but now it's going to close its electric car facilities in the UK and Singapore. Now, this is a pretty big blow for Dyson because this could have potentially been, you know, I think people had being nice talked about Dyson as being kind of like the UK's Tesla in terms of its potential. It's coming from, you know, an eccentric developer, uh, you know, inventor who's created some things and it would be high-end but high-performing they've taught yeah i mean i've heard i've heard dyson described very often as the apple of homewares um in that they take an existing product but do it very very well slap a high price on it and have quite simplistic branding yeah so but and if it had done this with a car it could have been a very interesting product but apparently it couldn't be made commercially viable. And I do wonder, I do wonder how much, and I'm sure this will, we'll learn more about this over the coming days and weeks, how much Brexit folded into this. Because Dyson, I mean, he was controversially a Brexit supporter, um, but he did move, he, you know, after supporting Brexit, he then moved the company's headquarters to Singapore. Um, and now this is happening, but this is affecting I- both UK and Singapore. And I just, I just wonder, you know, how much of that could, that lack of commercial viability um, was basically made more of a problem because of um, because of the political situation. I would say that I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, Dyson is not a company that has any grounding in automotive world, and there are a lot of things at, at play there that you, that need to be considered that need to that need to go into creating that product. But those supply chains are entirely different to what he's done. So even if it's not a political thing. Hmm. This is about talking about building from scratch an entirely new arm, an, a massive arm, to to a business. And this isn't something that's easy to just, you know, it's not like making another hand dryer. Building a car, the amount of legislation, legal stuff, testing, everything that has to go into this is so unfathomably huge 
that it comes as no surprise that it ended up being commercially unviable, even for a company the size of Dyson. And of course, they, it's up against some massive competition that on a logistical standpoint has a lot more experience and existing partnerships and deals because even in an electric car huge amounts of what makes a car a car is the same whether it's electric or or combustion engine powered yeah what makes it different obviously is the electrics and the experience and and things like that but you can save an awful lot if you're already able to make half a car yeah and and the other half is just what you're having to newly develop whereas dyson's having to basically or was having to basically develop the entire thing or at least develop new partnerships to support it and i i actually am i because i didn't follow this story particularly closely i don't know how they were going about it now from what you're saying i'm getting the impression that dyson were doing this entirely in-house with new teams whereas yeah. for me what i'd have i'd have felt would have been a, a an easier route to market would have been either to buy a smaller existing company use the technology develop it but also use um get access to more of their supply chains or to uh essentially work with partner with a company almost licensing the dyson name on to onto what they are doing uh you know co-designing this making sure that it's fits very much in line with what um, James Dyson wants to achieve. I mean, it's not really the Dyson model it, it, to 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 go down the kind of white labeling or co-developing. It's also not the Dyson model to make a car. No, nope, that's a fair point. You're going to do something different, then you need to have a different strategy of how you're going to get there. I um, mean, it's 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 actually something that works out probably quite well for the company because it's a you know it's a private company and it's had it's spent according to this wide write-up. Dyson said it spent nearly two hundred million pounds on things like test tracks and research and R&D in the UK. And that's only really within the last couple of years that we know this product's been underway. Renting test tracks, I assume. You can't even make a test track for 200 million. Well, I I don't I don't know, but I mean that's 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 about a quarter of a billion dollars mm. and this, you know, from a it's a private a private company, so it's it's not having tons of extra investment coming into this. But that's not a lot of investment for an entire car division. Mm. Like that that is actually relatively small. That's that's in line with you know, a manufacturer like Noble, who is a car manufacturer based in a shed in Leicester. You know, that's really yeah. Like yeah. it's not you know that's not a lot of money in cars. Um, um, the last what thing I was going to say, yeah, just very quickly, is that presumably from from that he was talking about we've got really good technology. They may well have, and I don't know if this is covered in the news story you're reading, but they may well have uh, licenses and patents that they could theoretically either license out or sell. Di- I mean, Dyson legendarily has a huge stock of patents. Yeah. Tons and tons and tons yeah. of patents. You're almost certainly right. And things like this, that an electric car is not a single product. Like an electric no. car is hundreds, if not thousands, of individual product, many of which may very well go in to become other things mm. and, and, and make other products better. So it won't be written off as a failure of the research. And in fact, there's a quote here from Dyson who says, this is not a product failure or a failure of the team for whom this news will be hard to hear and digest. Like, I kind of agree with that. If I was working on it, you'd kind of know that there's a whole bunch of stuff you probably developed that will yeah. go into making the next robotic vacuum cleaner they'll go into making another electric product maybe you'll get into making mm. e-scooters or something yeah. or will be licensed and become a revenue stream for dyson which is could be yeah well um we'll surely learn more about this as we progress through the next few days that story was not in our lineup uh, we literally just 
went off script to talk about that. So details may emerge after we have finished recording this, uh, in which case we'll come back to it next week. But if you have thoughts in the me- thoughts in the meantime, you know where to send them. If you don't, it's hello at uktechshow.com. Representatives from Sony have revealed substantial new details about its upcoming PlayStation 5 or PlayStation 5 for our German listeners in an interview with Wired. New features and improvements will include sophisticated haptics in the controller, hardware-based ray tracing, it's good for graphics and lights and things like that, Um, a UI that lets users see in-game information before launching into a game, and additionally, Sony confirmed that the console will be called the PlayStation 5, and then it's going to launch... Shock! before the end of 2020. Now, this that little write-up there is all from Wired's uh, sister site, Ars Technica. Other notable things, Andy, that I think is worth uh, worth mentioning is that the PS5 is going to have very, very fast solid-state drives, apparently. It's going to use 100-gigabyte optical discs, 4K mm. Blu-ray discs, uh, no, no less. And, and I love this bit... I'm surprised, you- just to touch on that, that it's even got an optical drive at all, because I did strongly suspect that this generation of console would probably do away with optical almost altogether. And yet... And yet here we are. And and yet here we are. It hasn't... Yeah. Bear in mind, there's a huge reason to use optical discs still, because you can then sell things in a store. People like to put things on shelves. Mm -hmm. To get rid of that would be to get rid of quite a large part of a distribution chain, I would imagine, is my guess here. And the other thing that I that I mentioned, is, or rather was about to mention until I was rudely interrupted by my brother, was you may be able to free up part of that SSD space by deleting parts of an installed game, you know, like a single player mode or a multiplayer mode if you only want one or the other, or if you finished with one or the other, which I think is really interesting. And it's similar to how on, certainly on the Xbox, I'm not sure if this is true on the PS4, still you can play parts of a game before it's finished installing yeah so presumably if if you can uninstall certain elements of the game if i'm right in understanding if for example uh gears of war has the horde mode where you are basically it's just an arena and wave after wave of enemies come at you it's very social very online multiplayer based if that's the only element of a game that you repeatedly play could you uninstall all the rest of it, the whole, the major story campaign, the rest of the stuff, and basically just load into horde mode. I think that is, from my understanding so far, that is the intention. There are many things, shared assets that would be across them all, character models, music, all that sort of thing. But I would imagine anything that is not required in that instance by horde mode, yes. What would be more interesting, if, and, we, and this may be a thing that we just don't know about yet, but I, I would doubt is actually whether you could just buy those component parts. Like, instead of charging an upfront fee for a game or charging a subscription that covers uh, multiple games like Microsoft does with its Game Pass, you could actually say, well, you know what? I, I do want this game, but I only want the multiplayer game. So I'm just going to buy that bit. Or, or it could just be a way of teasing people into the game by saying, well, hey, you can buy Horde Mode. It's five pounds or five dollars or whatever Mm. and then maybe you get into it you think you know what actually i quite like this i think maybe i'll play the campaign or i'll play the other multiplayer modes and then you can be upsold other parts of the game that can then be downloaded 
on the fly as needed because that's something that you can only really do with a downloaded game you can't realistically do that on a disc because you either need to buy the whole disc or not but all this led me to think that managing that sort of thing kind of goes against what a console is meant to be in the first place a games console in my head maybe i'm just being a traditionalist is it's plug and play and we've moved a long way away from that obviously because we have the whole updates problem which you and i have talked about at great length before now when you put a disc in that you haven't played for a while it's just update after update after update and all this kind of stuff but the fundamentals of what a console is is still but you can put a disc in a thing and press play and you can do some fun things mm-hmm. i think when we start talking about being able to selectively uninstall certain bits of a game and having um you know something maybe on optical disc something maybe on subscription like it kind to me it just the whole thought process that goes into how am i getting my games and how am i managing my collection of games it just makes it very very complicated and i just i wonder whether really we've actually seen the end of games consoles and really what we're talking about now is just it's just a different type of pc yeah i'd say that's very much the case but in terms of game delivery that's already what we've seen the whole thing of having dominant gaming platforms for marketplaces and game streaming i mean it was a few years ago when there was um i can't remember what the game service was it was uh, on live on live yeah that was it um you know that tried to do this oh cloud-based server gaming and it didn't work because the, the the technology wasn't there. People didn't have the internet speeds that were required, certainly not for, for mobile. And as mm. a result, the gameplay, I remember they um, had uh, Assassin's Creed 3, I think it was at the time, or one of them, and it was it was very poor. The frame rate dropped to like 5 FPS. It was, it was basically unplayable. And... Um, but now that is very much a thing that we're having, and um, certainly we've seen like with Apple Arcade um, as well. Because you've have you had a you know yeah you've, we you've played now with we, it a little bit. We did it. We I did an extra message uh, which which go you know goes out to our other patrons about Apple Arcade specifically. We've not really talked about it on the main show before. My my what I like about Apple Arcade is just that it it allowed me to try different types of games than I would ever normally play and I, and I liked that but it's not the same as cloud cloud based gaming and you've inadvertently or otherwise transitioned into where I wanted this conversation to go anyway which is is cloud gaming cloud based gaming essentially the console experience of the future which may be delivered on what we call now a games console Mm -hmm. but ultimately it is you pay a price you press a button to play a thing and the thing appears and you have fun with it you don't have to think about storage space about where you're saving files to whether you're running out of space anything like that you are just able to play a game with a bonus that with things like xcloud or google stadia you're going to be able to play it on a wide range of hardware types and over a wide variety of network types as well that's 100 percent where it's going and that should be no surprise because that's where we've already gone with things like photo storage and videos like with i with icloud storage google drive storage most of my stuff is not saved locally it's it's saved in the cloud already so when i boot up things like lightroom it's synced across devices and that's already there i don't need to manage that local storage and the same will be true for gaming i know that i mean you do have you've started doing this youtube video series and I, i was watching one of yours the other day actually i think it was the one with the car under the uh, under the cave you, like you, oh the aston martin the aston DBS martin. and you were talking in that video about how like 
it was sort of like 50, 60 different exposures yeah. that you just use certain selected bits to get that very artistic lighting effect. Yeah. But you were like, this file size is like eight or nine gigabytes or something for just one image. Yeah. So how the hell do you do that in the cloud? Because even today, eight, an eight gigabyte file is going to take a, you know a, two or three minutes potentially to download, even on a very good connection. Yeah, well, that that's still somewhere an occasion where you would need to have local files, um, but those are that that level of processing is infrequent. Um, I would say for the most part, I'm talking about working with individual um, raws. Uh, for for a single uh, working on a single image, but Adobe is very good. So, I tend to do a lot of my processing on Lightroom on the iPad, and that basically downloads and saves and saves locally a much smaller resolution version, which allows you to do all the actual work you need to on it. But when it comes to actually exporting the file, it then exports using the file it pulls um, uh, from its actual servers, which is a much better way of using both your internet capabilities and your local storage but your point is that everything's moving to the cloud yeah and it makes things simpler yeah internet connections are such that it is now very common for people to have access to over 100 uh, 100 meg a second which is more than enough that you would need for this sort of gaming even even at a very high resolution for demanding games that's more than you'd necessarily need obviously there's you know latency and upload issues is, is still uh, still comes into play but theoretically we are closer than we've ever been to being able to to have streaming options for AAA titles that are very very demanding and certainly if you look at what's going on with 5G and the speeds that you can achieve on 5G. There's been a lot of conversations around even things like Fortnite because people can now play competitively Fortnite on mobile on the go because their speeds are there to do that, whereas they weren't with 4G. I've actually got a video that I just submitted the voiceover for um, that I've been doing for Bloomberg about 5G and what 5G is going to do for cloud-based gaming for for exactly what you just said, which makes the point that I recorded in my piece uh, unoriginal because it's been had before. But I've filed it already. Well, but you're just, right. Just, just publish that and then and just hold this for unknown technical reasons until Tuesday. Yeah, I need to spend more time with my family. Yeah, actually, that doesn't work in this context because you're spending time with your family right I'm, now. I'm, that's what I'm doing. Okay, um, but the, this all the, the whole reason to have this conversation is to go around that idea of the need for a games console because it just feels to me now like the console is just it is just a PC and the actual console experience is going to be in the domain of cloud gaming and and sim- simplicity of access, which I, is tablets and phones and things. I think that's that's true and. That's if you look at the Nintendo Switch, and I love the Nintendo Switch, but that is very much a, I would say, a more traditional console as far as I'm concerned. In what we kind of used to know, it is much more plug and play. You get the game, mm. and and off you go. It's it's there are in very infrequently do I find I have to do uh, do any kind of updates to to the games or to the console itself. Um, but it's also quite family focused, so it's very easy to do. It's not you don't need to really know a lot about tech in order to use it, which in itself makes it feel more like how a console used to be. It's more like booting up a Mega Drive than it is booting up a Xbox One X. Mm. Um, but that's still the marketplace is still where I buy all the games. I almost never buy the cartridges. Um, for them. So you mean you're buying the digital downloads? Digital downloads, yeah. And that's largely because one of the uh, critical reasons when I had my um, uh, Nintendo Switch nicked in Barcelona because it's full of thieves there. That means stolen for American listeners. Yeah, half-inched. Then 
because I had a the cartridge version of Mario Kart in the console, I couldn't re-download it. But had I have bought it for the same price from the from the online store, all I'd have done is just press re-download, as I was able to do with Zelda Breath of the Wild, Skyrim, all the other games that I'd got. I could just re-download them because they were registered to me. But that one, I had to spend fifty quid on to to rebuy it because I'd had it stolen. So from then on, I was like, well, I'm never buying a physical cartridge for this there's no there's absolutely no need well let us know any thoughts you have on uh, on either the playstation 5 and its projected features or the role of a console in your life if you've uh, been tickled by any of the thought fingers that andy and i have pointed in your delicate areas then just let us know <laughs> hello at uktechshow.com Andy, you have been using a an iPhone 11 Pro, which I see is in one of your hands. No, it's not. What's that phone? This was the uh, XS Max. Oh, that's the 10s Max. Oh, what's that? Oh, that's the, the Galaxy, Galaxy Fold. The iPhone 11 to my back. I wanted to talk about the iPhone 11 because everyone's talked about it being uh, really good for for photography. Yeah. I haven't given it a run for its money. You have. You've done... I mean, I think you did a magazine feature or something, didn't you? Shooting? Yeah. It's not out well, yet. Well, no, it's upcoming. Upcoming, okay. Um, and the pictures that I've seen, at least, that you've shown me, they do look very impressive. And people have talked about how impressive the camera is. But when I, when I said to you that I was thinking about buying the 11 Pro mm. and upgrading from my 10s Max, you were like, no. No. Don't, don't do it. No. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But I thought you could give us your impressions of the the new iPhone as someone who has used it professionally and extensively, at least since it's been announced. Well, my impressions and and whether or not you should upgrade are, are the same thing. It is... Uh, there's a lot of talk about it being a very dull launch for Apple, um, even though it's, it's supposed to be a major upgrade year. And I'd agree. It, fundamentally, the phone hasn't changed. It doesn't feel any more powerful because it already had more power than it needed. Um, they, they have messed about with the cameras, the fact that the standard 11 no longer has a telephoto, which a lot of people will have been used to. It's now wide and normal. And the Pro adds in, adds back that telephoto that you once would have had. Almost certainly because it wasn't being used. Yeah, and they've seen, almost certainly they've also seen on competing phones that the super wide has been the headline feature and people have been loving mm-hmm. going out. And I think the most recent Huawei phones... Had Huawei's ones do, massive, Samsung does, yeah. OnePlus does. They, they've all been leading with... Well, most of them have got triple camera setups already. Mm-hmm. So it's been... It's super wide, normal, and telephoto zoom. Of course, I, the Nokia PureView, isn't it, that has about six cameras, I no, think. No, I've got too many. It's silly. But um, adding the wide-angle lens into your camera mix on an iPhone really is great because it, it adds this whole extra way of shooting. Before, the wide, the, the normal was reasonably wide, but not super wide. I think it was like a, maybe a 25 to 30 mil equivalent, which is which is fine. But going super wide, it allows you to get these really dramatic shots. What's super wide? Like tw- like twelve mil? I think it's a equivalent to twelve not- or fourteen. I think it's it is it is as an equivalent from a thirty five mil camera. Yeah, because I've got it. Because uh, I mean, I've got my old setup was a Canon based setup, and one of my favorite lenses on that was a twelve mil, and that mm. was called ultra wide. Yeah. So 
it must be comparable to yeah, that. Yeah, it is. It is It is very, very wide. And it is one of the things that I think for a lot of people, what they want to use their phone for, particularly when they're traveling, a, a super wide-angle lens is more useful than a telephoto lens. If you're out walking in the hills, you want to capture that whole dramatic scene in front of you. You want to capture the hills sweeping away. If you're in some beautiful Italian town, you want to use the wide-angle lens to capture the whole of the, the market that you're standing in. I love the fact that you are, I know for a fact, you are describing a very specific use case that you did. Yeah, but I did. When you were in Tuscany or wherever it was. Yeah, of course. Um, So, like, it is... That's the thing, you know. I'm literally like, this is what I do. This is what I've been, I've, I've used it for. Um, it's and it's great. It does that very, very well. The quality is superb. This, um, you're talking now about the iPhone 11. I'm talking specifically about the angle. iPhone 11 Pro wide-angle lens. Like I, so if I, it's so good, why am I not? Why, why, why shouldn't I buy one? Because that lens is the only reason, right, to upgrade the only reason the rest of the cameras are the same the um the the quality for everyday shooting you are not going to notice any kind of any kind of difference the power in the phone in terms of the processor is gaming ability you're not going to notice any difference yes they have got a new chip but day by day i've seen no improvements because obviously you've already got on the top phone more than you need now if you had maybe an older iphone an iphone 6 iphone 7 then yeah, upgrade to upgrade to the 11 Pro and get the new one and keep that for several years. But from the generation that's just gone, there is absolutely not enough reason to do that unless you have to have that lens. If you are getting your phone just for photography and that's the only thing you care about is having that wide-angle lens, then consider it. But you know what? This is this is why it's so particularly interesting. Is because. That is kind of the position I'm in, because as you know, and as some listeners know, my life lives on my iPad Pro. That's yeah. why I always buy the new one every year when it comes out. Uh, my iPhone, I don't really use anything on it. I have a podcast app that I use, mm-hmm. Pocket Cat, not Pocket Casts, uh, Overcast, and I use the camera. And obviously, I use it as a phone on occasion. But even then, I'm more more often I'm using the iPad with the Bluetooth, with headphones and things with that. So for me, the only reason that I still even carry around a, a standard phone as well, because I have an Apple Watch and I have the iPad, is because I want to have that camera. And that spawned my com- my little internal conversation over the last couple of days. What, whether you should upgrade? No, 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 no. About the fact that I also have a Sony Alpha A7R 2 you know, one of the best DSLRs mm. in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. And... I don't use it very often because I only use it when I'm actually going out to take to, photos. To take photos. Holidays, family events, stuff like that work. But then it's justified because it, it's heavy and it's big. But actually what I was thinking is what's heavy about that camera is the glass. Yeah. It's the lens. Because I the two main lenses that I use, one is a 25mm Zeiss Optics Batiste thing. It is heavy as... Mm-hmm. It is incredible. High quality glass weighs a lot. It's exactly, and the other is um, a Sony. It's a G series um, twenty four one hundred five f four. Correct. Well, well remembered. Well brained. Yeah, exactly. Which cost almost as much as the camera itself. And so I don't really want to carry those around. But what it made me think is instead of buying a new iPhone for that camera, why am I not just buying new, a, a new lens? For that a camera. new lens that allows me to take my actually very lightweight but very high performing DSLR wherever I go in the same way that I take my iPad everywhere I go. So that's what I did. And I ordered a new lens today. Yeah. And that is actually what I'm using as an considering the upgrade versus buying an iPhone 11. I think that's I think that's that's good. You may and 
I know you, I'm, an, I'm, an ex- I'm an outlier in that. You sense, are an outlier, and also in a privileged position of being able to afford all this stuff. Whereas you know a lot of people who are upgrading their phones less and less. I think um, it's moved. To typically, people are upgrading every three years, where it was every one to two. Bear in mind, I justify it as. I spend my life talking about it, so I yeah, feel I yeah, should put my money where my mouth is. You do, is. yeah, you should, and you also need to be aware of what you're talking about. You know, you my need t-shirts to be from H and M. This this stuff, yeah, that's fine. You also don't have a car, so true. You know, um, I I don't think it's. Def- I, I definitely don't think it's worth upgrading if you've got one of the most recent iPhones. I would even say, as far as the maybe even the ten, if you've got a ten that's in good condition, don't don't bother upgrading. Wow. If you've got something older. I just don't think it's worth it. But the thing is, what I find interesting is still with the with 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 this new iPhone. When I took it on my trip, so basically I went around um, the Highlands of Scotland with it. I took a McLaren 600LT, spied a supercar because why not? And a great old time shooting it all on the iPhone. Someone's got a terrible job, hasn't he? You yeah, should I point have. out this isn't. This, it sounds like a holiday. No, all of that was for work. Yeah, it's for work. And um, quote unquote. Yeah. It was for work, and it was it was good work, and I've uh, got a really cool piece coming out in it, and I'm really excited for it. But um, even then, I because I wanted to see my my plan was to really see how close I can get the results from my iPhone to match what I would do with my Pro camera, which is a, a Canon 5D4, and turns out very very similar. But I I approached it in a similar way, so I shot for the most part using the Moments app. So I shot in RAW. Hmm. Um, I also used well. Normally, I, I swear by Moment uh, lenses. Um, so Moment make uh, phone cases, and you clip onto onto their phone cases. Their yeah. le- their lenses. Um, I think you've got a set. They do have. various wide angle or zoom lenses. They also started doing their own screw in filters, like neutral density filters, circular polarizers, um, and filter mounts for you to use third-party filters. Now, for me, that's critical. Everything I do, if I'm shooting landscapes, I will usually use Lee Filters, which is another filter company, which now I can attach onto my phone. I can use the same professional lenses I use when I'm shooting with my Canon camera on my iPhone. And when I'm shooting in RAW on the iPhone, that means I have complete control over everything I'm doing, and I can get as good as I need to get. I, I publish my shots on my iPhone in our magazine in our print edition. Now, that is something that you would never have expected from a phone even a couple of years ago. I just want to play devil's advocate, and I, and I know you'll have an answer for this because you are a professional photographer, but surely, given the sensor size, mm-hmm. I mean, you're capturing a tenth of the light on the sensor of an iPhone yeah. versus a full-frame SLR, which you're... Yeah, your, you, you know your Canon is, and, and which my Sony Alpha is, mm-hmm. and also I'm using faster, brighter, better glass on Canon. Mm. But I mean, the issues, the, the main issues, and if we're going to get technical into photography, why not? The main issue, the main problem with with an iPhone is is the dynamic range. You know, you can easily, very easily, blow out your skies and have um and if you expose for the ground, or have a completely black ground if you expose for the sky. Uh, using the standard iPhone camera, uh, camera, there's obviously the auto HDR, which does a very, very good job of of bringing that under control. But if you're shooting in RAW, I use a graduated neutral density filter, and that allows you to match the exposure of the sky. It darkens the sky using a, a physical filter on the front of your on the front of a lens. Is that like when you have the little blue strip on a car windscreen that makes the it's, sky it's, darker, it's that but not sort, the road? That sort of thing. Yeah, it basically it darkens the sky that little bit which means that your exposure between sky and ground is even overall it's doing it's just using these filters and things to help 
the limited capabilities of the iPhone, limited in yeah in in you know with the air quotes going on, um, in order to you can use that equipment to get the best results that you can. And then when you're processing in Lightroom from a raw file, bearing in mind that processing in Lightroom on the iPhone is the same as processing in Lightroom on the desktop using the same app, um, you can get the most incredible results that I look at, and I'm like, I cannot tell whether I did that on a phone or camera. Some of the shots I showed to people, other photographers, like, what did I take that on, phone or camera? And they said, well, definitely camera. I said, nope, phone. I mean, you're making a very strong case, despite your intentions, that actually you should upgrade. But, no, but I, I suppose what you're saying is is that that is also true of some of the more recent models. And not just... That is, that is completely yeah. true. Yeah, that, this is not related to the iPhone 11 Pro. This is related to just the general quality of the re, of the recent iPhones. And I will also say the same goes for Galaxy S10 Plus, and I'm sure the new Pixel that's coming out. Um, you know, It's about how you use these things as much as anything else. So as I say, I s- completely swear by using Moment accessories and the Moment app, because that gives you uh, raw shooting, whereas natively on the iPhone... You still can't shoot in RAW. Um, I actually for video. I mean, I do more more video than than you. And I actually use the the it's called Filmic, Filmic Pro. Filmic Pro paired yeah. with Luma Touch. Yeah. Because again, you get much better controls, particularly over things like um, uh, aspect ratio and, and and things like that. Yeah. That that cuts down the amount of post processing that you need. It's actually doing it in real time mm-hmm. on device at the point of recording, but non destructively. So you can go back and make adjustments yeah. if you yeah. need to. You can also shoot in like Cinelog, I think. You can. Yeah. yeah. You get much different, yeah. much more controls. I mean, it's. It, it's it's a lot of this really then comes down to to software as well and i shouldn't be surprised because i'm recording this on a professional mixing desk plugged into an ipad pro i will be editing this in an in software on an ipad pro using the same workflow as i used to use on a mac using logic pro 10 mm. and like you i use lightroom on uh, the subscription based lightroom product on the um, on the iPad for processing raw photography and the iPad Pro is extremely quick and capable of that. Yeah, I mean I, as I say I do a lot of my work on the um, on the iPad professional work, big professional shoots I will do on the iPad. I would do more and I almost certainly will be doing more when Adobe releases full fat Photoshop on the iPad. I'm I I usually have to default back to my MacBook when I need to do bigger projects, when I'm working with layers in Photoshop, when I'm doing the sort of stuff that I can't do. If it's just a single image retouching, um, you know, exposure, color, contrast, that sort of thing, that's Lightroom is great for that. Anything else I have to go to Photoshop for. I am looking forward to seeing what they do with Photoshop on the iPad because the demo they showed off when they had like a graphic artist working with a, a document that was 60 layers deep, high resolution, um, you know, real-time effects being um, being used on there. That's what I would need from this on a car shoot if I'm, you know, uh, using strobe on a car, as you said before. I can have an image which is 40, built, made of 40 individual full-resolution RAW files, each one with masks applied, and then effects laid over the top. That's huge. The processing power is immense, and um, the file sizes are enormous. Whether I can do that on an iPad when full-fat Photoshop arrives, I'm going to be really excited to find out. I'm sure we'll get you back on to talk about that. I'm sure we won't need to because you'll probably write about it for CNET. Sure um, will. But that we've we've run along on that, but um, I think it was worthwhile because if I say so myself, it was very good. But if you have thoughts on this, to the contrary, to the not contrary, you can send them to hello at uktechshow.com. 
You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Well, text message keeps you informed about the British tech landscape, of course, but let's check in with our good friends, and they are good friends, at Daily Tech News Show in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of tech over the last week. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talk with Ariel Waldman about the tech you use to survive and study extremophiles in Antarctica. We discuss the new PlayStation 5 details, share some tales on how even the tech-savviest can get fished if you're not careful, look over the increasingly competitive market to put things in your ears, earbuds, they call them, and a deep discussion of the effect of China's policies on U.S. tech companies. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you, Andy, for being here, of course. We had um, an amazingly fun discussion, actually, in the um, in the Patreon version of the show this week, all around Uber deciding to let people sort of alert drivers to uh, to the pets that they may or may not wish to bring along with them in the ride. And that conversation took a massive turn into the bizarre. I got to share my story about the time I took a cat in a cab where the cab driver had a phobia of cats. And Andy talked about taking ostriches on a plane. I was it- right. There's the emotional support turkey. <laughs> and the emotional support kangaroo that flew um, uh, emotional support duck. Okay. Well, it called could- Daniel. Daniel, the support duck. Um, well, anyway, this is going to make no sense to people not listening to the Patreon version. So if you do want to try Patreon, of course, and support us, uh, you can do so and, uh, and, and get that out. Uh, that is out now. And thank you to all of our patrons supporting us every week. You are the best people in the world who aren't performing life-saving surgery. And some of you may very well be performing that as well, although hopefully not simultaneously, because I would not like to be the soundtrack to somebody's thoracic surgery. Andy, why don't you tell people where they can find more of your opinions and your facts and other things about you, yourself, Andy Hoyle? The best place to find anything about me is with the handle at BatteryHQ, which you can plug into Instagram or Twitter. Um, Instagram is where I do most of my photography. Uh, I have also recently launched my own YouTube channel, which goes behind the scenes on my photo shoots i do both professionally and personally uh find that on youtube by searching for andrew langson hoyle photography um or again battery hq and you'll definitely be able to find it there i've just started that and i'm very excited so if you're interested in photography or hearing the handsome face which surely must be attached to this voice uh you can go and watch that and subscribe We'll include a link to uh, to Andy's YouTube channel as well in the MP3 description. So if you have a look in your podcatching app or uh, obviously in the show notes at uktechshow.com, Andy's just shown me a picture of a lobster. Why? Uh, because the that giant live lobster was taken genuinely on a uh, US internal flight as an emotional support lobster. Wow, there must be a massive clause in the contract to allow that. Yep. Bye. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.